This glass of water could improve my cardiac function by enhancing my heart's contractility, offering a protective effect against cardiovascular diseases, it could reduce my risk of osteoporosis by contributing to bone formation, it could help manage my obesity or type 2 diabetes, it could reduce my risk of developing Alzheimer's disease by promoting neurogenesis, it could also have anti-inflammatory effects and antioxidant properties, enhance my cognitive abilities, support my body while it ages, potentially have positive effects in treating type 1 diabetes, and have synergistic effects while I exercise. All of that because of one mineral I just added in my regular tap water, Lithium, but not just lithium, lithium at a certain dose, a micro dose to be a bit more specific. Today, we'll dive deeper into the studies behind my introduction claims, then swiftly look at the history behind lithium's ambiguous link with health, check what the regulation says or rather doesn't say, and finally look forward to two ways to act upon lithium's potential positive health effects. If you want to jump straight into that, I've placed time codes right here, and if you're listening to that through the podcast, I've similarly created chapters. But before going into the details, I need to give you a bit of context. This topic was kind of dropped on me at the latest Rethinking Water conference in New York. As part of my partnership with the incredible Science Water folks, I'm creating a cozy interview booth, starting the cameras and the microphones, sitting down, and then off we go for about 10 hours straight of conversations and interviews. That's an incredible feeling because I can be in the zone for one day straight, chatting with the most brilliant water minds, yet that also has a drawback. Sometimes when my guests sit down on the couch, I have no clue about who they are and what they do. There are 1.7 million water professionals in the US alone. I'm not proud, but I can't pretend I know them all. Maybe more problematic, they sometimes come to discuss a topic I never heard of. And that matters a lot, because I owe you to raise the right questions and steer the conversation towards the best possible insights, but also ensure I don't give you wrong information or get too strongly on board of a well-crafted sales pitch. To give you a sense of what I mean here, the closest example to today's topic is when I interviewed Gerald Pollack. I knew little about the physics of the fourth phase of water, but I had read his book and research papers, taken loads of notes, and could enter the interview prepared. These are always unscripted and are genuine conversations, but trust me, I prepare them intensively. So that day in New York, I had just finished discussing public acceptance of water reuse with Austin Alexander, a topic I know pretty well, when Sudhir Gad sat down on the couch to give me this elevator pitch. My name is Sudhir Gad. I'm a doctor, I'm a psychiatrist here in New York. My company is called Third Element Water. We have found a wonderful source of lithiated water in West Texas and bottled it, but instead of just selling that water, I'm raising awareness about not just the quality and the amount of water around the world, but content, the minerals. What are those total dissolved solids? And what is the best solid in there? It's actually lithium. I know the lithium topic pretty well, but on the mining side of the story, as a vector of the EV revolution, not as a health topic. So from there on, I navigated by sight. In the next three minutes, Sudhir taught me that people who are drinking lithiated water at up to one milligram per liter is that there's less, not just suicide, homicide, crime, Alzheimer's, psychosis, but there is greater wellness, conductor of electricity. We are electrical beings, and so small amounts actually improve electrical balance. Immunologically, lithium's effects on COVID and post-COVID syndrome. We can offset a lot of chronic health issues just at the very basic level of enhancing the water. So you dream more, your brain is cleansed more, you stay younger, 
top down. That's a lot of claims and still just some of them. You can find the full interview on the podcast channel. And I'd recommend it because Sudhir is a great speaker and a very kind and affable person. But when I'm having this kind of conversation, I can't just trim out my stumbles and publish it. I really believe I owe you to dive deeper or not publish it at all. There's snake oil outside and I don't want to be the one to advertise it. Hence this question to Sudhir. You mentioned your studies on the positive health effects is it something you can openly share of course and in fact if you go to third elements website there is a section that lists research papers and opinion pieces i read them and that's a great start yet for me to publish the story that was still not enough that's just the sound of one bell i had to check if there were others so i placed it in my content fridge the place where I'm amassing notes and reading snippets to eventually one day bring it to life. That's where things were as I received David Sedlak's latest book, Water for All, to read and study before my interview with him. And page 255, there's this sentence. Some epidemiologists have even theorized that communities that obtain their drinking water from sources that are deficient in lithium, as in the case for desalinated water, have higher rates of suicide and violent deaths. That started to be too much to ignore, so I opened the fridge, took out my notes, added the references David quotes in the book, and went down the rabbit hole. Here we go. Gerhard Schrauser was a professor at the University of California in San Diego when he published a paper that's actually quoted in all the other ones I read. In his 1989 study on lithium in drinking water and the incidence of crimes, suicides and arrests related to drug addictions, he actually takes advantage of Texas's quite specific geology, which leads wells used for the public supply of drinking water to sometimes have some of the lowest lithium concentrations in the entire USA and sometimes some of the highest at just kilometers of distance. Hence, using 10 years of data from 1978 to 1987, he looked into the statistics for homicide and suicide rates, but also rapes, robberies, thefts, burglaries, assaults, motor vehicle thefts, arrests for possession of drugs and the total crime rate, and mapped those against the lithium content in drinking water in 27 Texas counties. The results are spectacular for all the parameters except assault. The differences between the high, medium and low lithium in water counties are statistically significant. Even when excluding the biggest Texan cities from the comparison to have somewhat constant psychographics between the counties compared, the differences in incidences of homicide, rape and suicide were consistently lowered by 30 to 50% in high lithium places. Arrests for hard drug possession were even divided by three. In a nutshell, there is a strong inverse correlation between crime and suicide rates and lithium concentration in tap water. But is this correlation an isolated fact in the Texan 80s? Not really. Using a similar methodology, Nestor Capusta, a professor at the Medical University of Vienna, looked into 99 Austrian counties and with his team, he showed that the overall suicide rate as well as the suicide mortality ratio were inversely associated with lithium levels in drinking water and remained significant after sensitivity analysis and adjustment for socio-economic factors. Meanwhile, at yet another end of the world, Hiroshika Ogami, a researcher at the Department of Neuropsychiatry of the Oita University Faculty of Medicine, studied lithium levels in tap water in the 18 municipalities of Japan's Oita Prefecture in relation to the suicide standardized mortality ratio in each city. 
and he found that the lower the lithium levels, the higher these standardized mortality averages were. Similar studies were conducted with similar results in Denmark and Greece, but I think you got the point. Yes, I know, correlation is not causation. In science, there can be smoke without fire. For instance, beer consumption rises significantly in hot summers because people are thirsty, and in hot summers the air pollution in cities rises as well because the air mass is not moving so much. So when beer consumption rises, air pollution does as well. Yet, those two have no causation link one to another. Yet, without wanting to leverage a Barnum effect on you, I can quote several more studies that look into the positive health effects of low-dose lithium, such as Marielza Andrade-Nunes study at the Department of Physiological Sciences of Sao Paulo, which showed a stark impact on the slowing down of Alzheimer's degenerative aspects under the effect of microdosed lithium they gave over 15 months to sick patients, while Lars Vedel-Kessing of the Psychiatric Center of Copenhagen showed like in the previous studies, that the incidence rate ratio of dementia was decreased in Denmark's population that was exposed to more than 15 microgram per liter of lithium in their tap water. So let me skip the countless other examples I gathered of studies that looked into the positive effects of microdose lithium on kidney aging, heart and cardiovascular diseases, osteoporosis and even cancer. If you're interested in all of these, I've linked them in the description. To raise this question instead, why do we refuse the lithium miracle pill? I've been checking Google Scholar, Springer Online and even the excellent custom GPT developed by Consensus to look for adverse health effects of microdose lithium. And here's the thing there's little to nothing. Does that mean that microdose lithium has no drawbacks? Not by itself. What this absence of results shows is that it's not investigated. Why? Because I guess for long, there's been kind of a consensus that uh, this wasn't needed. Let's remove the word microdose for a minute and do a bit of history to understand. If you're like me, quite a fan of sad and tortured rock and grunge music, you probably know Evanescence Lithium Song or Nirvana's Lithium Song. Coincidence? I think not. Lithium has been known since the second half of the 19th century to treat a whole range of mental disorders, but in the first place, for wrong reasons. Doctors thought that as lithium could dissolve uric acid, and as uric acid was believed to be the cause of a whole range of diseases, including depressive and manic disorders, lithium should be massively used wherever possible. You know how coke used to be made of real cocaine? Well, in the age of coke fountains, it also used to be mixed with lithia water. If that didn't cheer you up enough, you could go for another soda instead. Beep label lithiated lemon lime soda. That one took a shorter name in 1936 to take the atomic mass of lithium, 7, and indicate it was cheering you up, 7 up, true story. Given the lithium concentrations in those drinks, they were probably harmless. Yet something else wasn't recommending to cardiac patients to switch table salt, sodium chloride, for lithium salts. It resulted in a wave of adverse effects with many deaths in that pretty fragile population. As a consequence, by the mid-20th century, the lithium wave was dead and lithium was banned in the US in 1949. But even if wrongfully understood, the mental health effects of lithium observed in the 19th century were real and it grew from medical research in Australia showing how notably bipolar, schizophrenic, and major depressive disorders could be treated with lithium carbonate. Since the 1970s, that usage of lithium has been validated, accepted, and recommended everywhere around the world for the most severe mental cases, 
Yet the stigma of the early 20th century's frenzy remains and probably explains why microdose lithium doesn't get any traction. Lithium is good to treat mental disorders when nothing else can. Now that we know it better, it even comes with fewer adverse effects than it used to, but all the other use cases simply don't exist on the map. Or does it? The Lithium No Man's Land. The tap I put in a glass of water in the beginning isn't actually the only or even the easiest or cheapest way to get lithiated water. There are actually countless mineral waters that have concentrations in the 0.1 to 2 mg per liter range, like Spain's Vichy Catalan, Germany's Gerolsteiner, Italy's San Pellegrino, US's Lithia Water, or even extreme cases like Portugal's Vidago and its 2.2 mg per liter, or the nearly 10 mg per liter found in Slovakia. Overall, as you can see on Europe's map of bottled water, Concentrations in this microdose lithium range are quite common and simply the norm if you're in northern Portugal, central France, or South Poland. Did anyone ever do a study on the adverse effect of lithium as per its concentrations in bottled water, not that I knew or found while researching for this video? Super short story time. My wife is from the exact center of all these big rounds at the center of France, and she says, Glad water cheers people up there because aside from that, there is not much to enlighten your mood. Her words, not mine. Sorry, Clermont-Ferrand. But seriously, don't we have norms as to what's good or not in drinking water? Potable water is not a soft science. Usually it's hard facts, concentrations and thresholds to meet. So what's the acceptable limit for lithium? Well, none. That's it. There's no rule. The World Health Organization specifically mentions there's no rule as and I quote, lithium at levels found in drinking water is not considered to pose a significant risk to human health. Same for the US EPA, there is no enforceable legal limit, some states monitor it, but again, that's it. Same again in the European Union, nothing. The closest you'll find to a regulation is Chile and Argentina, that define environmental limits to lithium due to their mining activities in the lithium triangle region, but nothing for drinking water. A consequence of that is that you wouldn't even know the amount of lithium in your water unless someone measured it expressly. For instance, the San Pellegrino I mentioned earlier, and of which I happen to have a bottle right here, has a concentration of about 0.2 milligrams per liter of lithium, which I know because I researched it, but it's nowhere to be found on the bottle's level. In her reference book on minerals and mineral balance in drinking water, Ingegerd Rosbach suggests that concentrations of approximately 100 to 200 microgram per liter are optimal, but as low as 10 microgram per liter appears to be beneficial. Going forward. Let's quickly summarize what we've seen so far. Microdose lithium appears to have a lot of positive health effects. Even if causation studies in controlled environments might be missing to be 100% affirmative, we can at least say that there's a body of evidence which tends in that direction. At the same time, nothing at that stage seems to indicate significant adverse health effects. Macrodose lithium already exists in bottled mineral water, almost under the radar as nothing would tell so on the bottle's label, but why would it? After all, lithium's not regulated. That leaves me with two last questions to quickly address. First, could you engage in a lithium supplement cure if you'd wish? Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not debating if you should. I'm asking whether you could. Legally speaking, of course. Yet I found out it's not that easy. If you're in the US, Sudir's third element company markets its supplements by box of 20 for $59. They include more than just lithium, 
But when it comes to lithium, there's 20 milligram inside to dilute in 8 fluid ounces of water. In normal units, see how I try to not say non-retarded units? Whoops, <laughs> I said it again. So in normal units, that's a quarter of a liter. Studer is a doctor, I'm not, but it sounds to me like a higher doses than the microdose we've been discussing so far. But assuming you're drinking your two liters a day, that's the equivalent of drinking only the high lithium bottled water from Slovakia we mentioned earlier. $59 for roughly three weeks is a budget, yet that's cheaper than bottled mineral water, at least the option exists. Because third element water doesn't ship to Europe, and as a European, when I tried to order from several suppliers I found online, I simply could not get any delivery. Yes, my opening segment was staged. It's a simple vitamin pill that I use to bubble in my glass. Now my second and last question, as I'm a tap water guy. There are places in the world where tap water is fluorinated, so it is possible to supplement tap water when the cost-benefit ratio appears positive. And for the 300 million people out there that drink desalinated water, desalination is always followed by remineralization to meet potable water thresholds. Yet, as we've seen, lithium is not part of drinking water rules, so no lithium is added in the desalination water mix. Hence, the original concern David Sedlak raised in his book. So let's imagine we take the about 100 million cubic meters of water that are desalinated every day in the world and mineralize them with the lowest recommended lithium dose as per Ingegerd Rosberg's book, 10 micrograms per liter. 10 micrograms per liter is 1 times 10 to the minus 11 power tons per liter and 100 million cubic meters of water per day is 1 times 10 to the 11 power liters per day. I love when maths are easy. 10 to the minus 11th power times 10 to the 11th power equals 1 ton of lithium per day. Now, that lithium would probably be dosed in the most common form, that's to say lithium carbonate. So we take that ton and multiply it by 5.323. Again, easy maths, we would need 5.323 tons of lithium carbonate every day. So that anyone around the globe that's served with desalinated water doesn't get a zero lithium water but one that seems to have positive health effects. How much would that cost? Well, at today's lithium carbonate spot price of $13,500 per ton, we're talking of $72,000 per day. Or said differently, 0.000007 cents per liter. That's a zero followed by five zeros and a seven. I think we could afford that, right? In conclusion, while it seems that the cost-benefit ratio of microdose lithium in tap water is significantly positive, it also seems like that no man's land might remain one for as long as nobody cares enough. In that sense, lithium is not alone. Minerals like cobalt, iodide, rubidium, silicon, vanadium, or even more surprisingly, phosphorus, are nowhere to be found on the World Health Organization's map with regard to drinking water. That alone brought back a memory of what Gerald Pollack told me in the interview I briefly mentioned at the beginning of this video. Water is an under-researched field of science. If you'd like to recall what made him feel so while uncovering the fourth phase of water, have a look here. And if you like the video you're watching right now, make sure to like and subscribe. And I'll see you next time.